This morning, I'd like to talk about the New Testament reading that shows how God did come at the right time in history, coming for us and for all people. Dear friends in Christ, there is a story about a woman who, uh, she was married, but she decided to go on a, a private vacation on her own to Europe. And she went from the Midwest to London, and then she was planning to go to Paris and Rome and Vienna. And when she got to London, she called her husband back home in the Midwest and said, how are you doing? Well, her husband said, I'm doing fine, but the cat died. So his wife starts bawling her eyes on the phone, and she, as she regains her composure, she says, you insensitive brute of a man, why did I ever marry someone like you? You have no concern about my feelings. And the husband said, well, what was I supposed to say? And the wife thinks for a moment, and she says, well, when I got to London and I called you as I just did now, you could have said, Lucy, our cat is on the roof. And when I got to Paris, you could have said, well, Lucy fell off the roof. And when I got to Rome, you could have said, well, Lucy is not doing well. And when I got to Vienna, you could have then said, Lucy had died. And then the wife says, by the way, how's mother? Her husband responded, she's on the roof. <laughs> the wife had thought that her husband, you know, his timing was really not good as far as delivering news. The timing wasn't good. Have you ever been in a situation yourself where you felt that that timing of something was bad? You know, one weekend there was a pastor who had a guest of his come and visit, and that man's name was Sam. And when Sam was in his 20s, he was newly married, didn't have a lot of money. And yet Sam and his wife, they sensed that they should move from Washington State down to California, where they knew no one, and where Sam was going to begin at a seminary. And Sue was going to be supporting him while he was there as she would work. And this was during a recession. And three weeks before the couple was scheduled to leave Washington and head down to California for Sam to begin at the seminary, his wife Sue announced to Sam that she was pregnant. The timing of that pregnancy seemed really bad. I wonder how Mary, the mother of Jesus, felt when the angel Gabriel approached her when she was just a young teenager and told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and impregnate her. Mary could have become very distraught, and she did. She was troubled by those words, as we know from the Gospel of Luke. Mary would become pregnant supernaturally, and she would be the mother of the Savior of the world. And at that time, Mary was not yet married. She was pledged to be married, and lived in a much more conservative culture than we do today. For Mary to become pregnant, that would have been a very humiliating disgrace. To make matters worse, she's now in her ninth month of pregnancy after that, as they're going now from that town of Nazareth to Bethlehem. They did that, her and her husband-to-be, Joseph, because it was Caesar Augustus who had issued a decree that there should be a census, a, a counting of the whole Roman world. 
And the, the Jews, the Israelites, they lived in that Roman world. The timing of Mary's pregnancy, if we focus that camera on Mary, seems really bad. She doesn't complain, but things seem really bad. But from God's perspective, this was the right time. The timing was perfect. And we saw in those words of Galatians 4, this is from the English Standard Version or ESV Bible, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, what does that expression mean? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Well, the expression of the fullness of time means that the time was ripe. The time was perfect. God sent forth his Son to be the Savior of the world. And throughout history, God had been whispering and promising and even suggesting that he would send a Savior. Think back all the way to the beginning pages of our Bible. Adam and Eve, you know, they sinned, they fell away from God. They experienced a a sense of alienation between themselves and God and between each other and even within their own hearts. And so God promised that he would send a Savior even at that time. And for all humanity, that Savior would be born. Many years later, God had approached a nomad Middle Eastern man named Abraham. And there was his wife, Sarah, who he was married to. They were an elderly couple. They had struggled with that decades of infertility. And God said to Abraham, he says, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Well, we know that that seed would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And God would approach one of Abraham's great-grandsons, many times removed, King David, and tell him that this king would have an offspring in the future who would sit on the throne forever and ever, and his reign would know no end. God was referring again to his son Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And throughout Scripture, God had promised a Savior, He is the one who, Paul says, in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, God sent forth his Son, born of woman. Jesus came into the world at the right time for many evident reasons. You see, in hindsight, we can look at why it was such an opportune time for Jesus to come into the world, to be born as a Savior. It was an ideal time politically. The Roman Empire... It had many faults. When Jesus was born, the Roman Empire in many ways was at its peak of power. One of its virtues was that it tended to be really tolerant toward religions. And Rome had declared, you can exercise your religion with freedom as long as you proclaim that Caesar is God. Well, that worked wonderfully for all the groups, except for one, the Hebrew people. And the Jews, they were almost adamant about not worshiping any god because they said Yahweh is the only living God. All these other gods are false. 
And because the Jews had resisted the law, they were persecuted by the Romans. And there were even those who were killed because of it. But the Roman leaders, they were logical thinkers. And they decided to bend the rule a bit for the Jewish people. And the leaders said, well, let's change the law just a little bit. Let's say that every people group under our empire must declare that Caesar is God, except the Jewish people because they're so stubborn. Well, the Jews were given an exemption. And when Christ was born and when Christianity was born, it was given that same privilege as being a part of Judaism. It was assumed that Christianity was a part of the Jewish faith. And so the Romans, they gave Christianity the same favor that they gave the Jews. All the way up until about the year 70 AD, the people who were practicing Christianity, well, they were able to have pretty much complete freedom to do what? To proclaim the message of Jesus Christ as the Savior. And it was an ideal time for that good news to be proclaimed. It was the right time politically. It was also a right time of that relative peace that would be in the world. Because when Julius Caesar was assassinated, there was a civil war that had broken out in the Roman Empire. But then the year 25 BC, when Caesar Augustus ascended to the throne, well, there was a time of relative peace for about 200 years. And during that time of peace, Jesus would be born. There would be roads that would be built, and on the roads traveled the Christians, the ones who could share that good news with others because they had now access to freely move around. So it was the right time politically for Jesus to be born. It was also the right time for him to be born culturally. Alexander the Great, you know, he had conquered the world into which Jesus had come. And with Alexander's victory, it was Greek culture and the Greek language that really was spreading all over. More people in Jesus' world had now learned to read more than ever before in history. Well, the Greek language, it was very precise. And we know the, the Gospels, the New Testament, they were eventually written in Greek. So the gospel spread, and the good news of Jesus spread because they had a language that other than that, it would not have gotten as far. So it was the right time politically, the right time culturally, and it was also the right time spiritually. The Greeks, they had philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and they had the wonderful job of raising questions about the meaning of life. And someone has said that those Greek philosophers, they had plowed the fields of the human heart. And it was Christ and his followers that then sowed the seeds of meaning of life. So politically, culturally, and spiritually, it was the perfect time for Christ to be born. And God through his angel Gabriel, came to Mary and said, you're going to experience the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and you're going to give birth to the one who will be the Savior of the world. It was bad time for Mary personally because she was unwed, but through Mary's yes, that voluntary yes, God was achieving his purpose 
his grand purposes. And we can see that it's not only true in Mary's response, but also of various people's responses throughout Scripture. And one of the favorite stories about how God uses people's responses to achieve his purpose is that story of Joseph, way back in Genesis. Joseph was a great-great-grandson of Abraham. He was one of 12 boys, and he was Jacob's favorite son. And because of that, as you might imagine, those other brothers, they were pretty jealous. And they betrayed him, and they sold him as a slave. And then they took his technicolor dream coat and dipped it in blood and sent it over to his father, and they said, we found this. And the father assumed that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. But Joseph had been sold into slavery in Egypt. And he started working for this man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph because he was a good-looking man. And one day when Potiphar was out of the house, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, but he rejected because he didn't want to dishonor God. And Potiphar's wife was so offended that when her husband came home, well, she falsely accused Joseph in front of her husband of what took place. Her husband sends Joseph to prison. He's eventually released. And then he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And because of his exceptional gifts, and because God's hand was upon him, Joseph was able to raise up and do much for that government. Later, a famine breaks out in the region. Joseph's brothers become hungry, and they head over to Egypt because they heard that there was grain there. And the brothers went, and they stood before that prime minister of Egypt, his, their brother, and they didn't recognize him. So they just asked for grain. And Joseph, you know, he was tempted to conceal his identity, but he couldn't. He said to his brothers, don't you recognize me? I'm Joseph, the one whom you sold. And his brothers became deathly afraid. You know, they thought that his, their brother, he was going to retaliate against them, you know, perhaps even kill them or have them become slaves themselves. But Joseph says, please don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God knows when the timing is right. It's easy looking back at Mary's life to say that, you know, she made the right decision because we've got the benefit of hindsight. But Mary didn't have that benefit. The Danish theologian and philosopher Kierkegaard, he's the one who ended up saying, we understand life looking backwards, but we must live it looking forwards. And that's hard. Well, the way that we can trust God looking forward is by looking back to Mary and to that son that she bore, the son of God, God in human flesh, who was once a baby and then at the age of 33 died on a Roman cross as a sacrifice for your sins and mine and for the whole world, for people of all time. St. Paul says, If God did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's how good God is toward you and me. 
you know, on this day we look back and we look upon these past months of the year and what they had in, involved with us, there, the things that happened, the things that we did and maybe we didn't do. And we also look ahead as we face a new year. So when God speaks to you, probably not through his angel Gabriel, but perhaps through Scripture, or through some event in your life, or perhaps through the Spirit as he's moving in your heart, will you say, yes, 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 and allow that living God to weave something beautiful in your life and through your life? May that happen to you in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us as your children, for doing the things that needed to be done for all of mankind at the right time, Lord. And as you walk with us, you know what the right times are for our life here, as we are your lights in a dark world, as we are your messengers of good news. So use us, Lord, and let us know of your presence, your joy, and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.